You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Listen live on 98.7 or 98.3 FM or stream live from rwpfm.com.au. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Robots are being used to ward off San Francisco's homeless population mm. from a, an SPCA, which is the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. So it's like the RSPCA in Australia. Apparently, this is a place where you know sometimes there's donations that are held on site, and people have been known to break in and steal from this mm. place. Because the place doesn't have a huge amount of money, they've actually been hiring robots, which patrol the area and do result in a reduction in the crime rate because they've got cameras, they've mm-hmm. got facial recognition. If someone's been and sort of put on a watch list. But it's passive person. only, isn't it? They're not... Uh, yeah, no, yeah. they don't have like laser guns yeah. or uh, tasers or anything. But I mean, that's sort of not necessarily that far from the bounds of possibility, mm. you know, if, if, if that was uh, proved to be effective. One of the big things at the moment is the driving, the use of this is just the, the economics of it. A robot costs $6 an hour to use or to lease from the company that mm-hmm. provides it, whereas uh, paying a security guard over in San Francisco costs an average of $16 an hour. Right. So yeah. uh, lower rates for that kind of work over in the States than in Australia. Nevertheless, a very significant cost difference between using a robot and using a human. There wasn't even an example of one of these canine units um, that was employed by the SPCA was brutally attacked by a drunken man toppling the 400-pound robot on patrol in a Silicon Valley parking lot earlier this year. Mm. So what they find is that sometimes people mill around in the car parks outside these sort of places Mm -hmm. and uh, they can be a bit of a threat to employees who are going Mm -hmm. home time, that sort of thing. So they find that the robots, which can alert police using facial recognition technology, they can get authorities or they can alert a security guard who may be diverted somewhere else. Maybe Mm -hmm. only one security guard that can't cover the whole campus. So the robots can kind of fill in the gaps. There may be people who are listening to this going, how absolutely disgraceful they even do this sort of thing. Mm. There are also other issues with the council in San Francisco has issues and, and concerns about robots clogging up the the footpaths Mm. there's actually been a ban on using robots to deliver food because they go along the sidewalks and they block up those areas apparently there's a thousand dollars per day fine for operating a robot in a public right-of-way area without a permit so there are other factors against using these in this way but it does seem that they are effective and because of the economics i guess you'd have to say that it's quite likely this sort of thing will continue rather than decline just moving on with the news Juno which is that great mission out at Jupiter it's in orbit it's doing this very big looping orbit and it comes in very very close to the cloud tops and peers down into the atmosphere of Jupiter so it's less focused on the moons which other missions have previously been more wound up with this one's looking much more just at the atmosphere itself and the, the gas giant and what comprises it lessons that we can learn about how the, the solar system evolved that sort of stuff they've recently flown over the great red spot There's a video which I've actually posted to our website, so it basically shows a video that's kind of been computer-generated showing the fly-in over the atmosphere and then using a special instrument that peers down below the cloud tops, they've actually been able to see about 300 kilometres to show that the Great Red Spot, which is 1.3 times the width of the Earth, so 16,000 kilometres wide, 
is also very deep. Mm. They don't know how deep it actually goes, mm-hmm. but they've looked about 300 kilometres below the cloud tops and they can see that it continues down there. It gets warmer and warmer as, the, as you go deeper. Right. They're suggesting that they go 50 to 100 times deeper than Earth's oceans, are warmer at the base than they are at the top. Winds are associated with differences in temperature and the warmth of the spot's base explains the ferocious winds we see at the top of the atmosphere. Mm. So that video I really would recommend you have a look at, you know, based on real images collected by the orbiter, the Juno mm. orbiter, as it went in and flew right over the top of the Great Red Spot and then it adds the simulation of what you'd see because of that instrument that was able to peer down through the clouds to about 300 kilometres into the planet's atmosphere. Suggest you check that out for yourself. The web address is nasa.gov forward slash Juno if you'd like more information about that mission. Now, the Pentagon has admitted running a secret multi-million dollar UFO program up until the year 2012. Mm. So only five years ago, the program was allocated US $22 million in annual funding, secretly tucked away in the the billions of dollars that are spent on defense every Mm -hmm. year. In fact, I think America's defense budget is greater than the sum of every other countries in the world. Yeah, I think so. Defense budget. So very easy to hide a measly $22 in, in amongst all that. The Pentagon has acknowledged the fate of the program that was axed in in 2012, saying the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, that's what they call a Mm -hmm. UFO, ended in the 2012 timeframe. It was determined that there were other higher priority issues that merited funding, and it was in the best interest of the Department of Defense to make a change. The department goes on to say that uh, the DOD takes seriously all threats and potential threats to our people, our assets, and our mission, and takes action wherever credible information is developed. Scientists have stressed that unexplained phenomena are not proof of interstellar visitors. There was some footage I saw recently related to this story, I think taken by an F-18 pilot Mm -hmm. or pilots Mm -hmm. over the Pacific. I think they were doing some drills and stuff, and they intercepted this object which which disappeared off their screens, and you can actually see videos of uh, of what the pilots saw, and it disappeared at a speed that no known technology is Mm -hmm. capable of. So some interesting stuff there, and as Uh, is always the case, there seems to be, you know... a good explanation, yeah. uh, a rational explanation for all this stuff beyond or rather than just assuming, oh, it must be ET. If it's purely video, then it's very questionable. Yes. So if there's some kind of uh, physical matter that we can you know, get our hands on and test, then I'll maybe go to the slight believable, but at this stage, I'm very skeptical. Yeah, yeah, pretty skeptical. Fair enough, John. And look, uh, bright areas have been observed at the dwarf planet Ceres. Now, the Dawn mission, which is that ion-propelled technology demonstration, really, of the propulsion system. It first went to Vespa, then it went on. It was actually the first man-made object or robot to visit two objects, first to Vespa and then on to Ceres, which is a very large dwarf planet. I think it's the largest object in the asteroid belt, and that's the asteroid belt is between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. So it's a big field of debris, and Ceres is in there. What they've found that's really interesting is is that it seems that Ceres is much more active than was previously thought. There's hundreds of bright areas that stand out in images Dawn has returned back to Earth, and these are indicative of an active, evolving world. One particular crater, the Okata crater, is made of a salt-rich material which is likely once mixed in water. It would resemble dirty snow to the human eye. But as I said, there's uh, there's more than 300 bright spots that have been located on the, on the surface of Ceres. There's even a mountain, a Mons, which is the one instance on Ceres where bright material is unaffiliated with any impact crater. So you haven't blasted white 
that material from below the crust. This is likely a cryovolcano, a volcano formed by the gradual accumulation of thick, slowly forming and flowing icy materials. It has prominent bright streaks on its flanks. It was previously believed that this was a pretty inert mm. object. It's a, just a dwarf planet out in the uh, asteroid belt. It looks like it's got cryovolcanism, very active. They don't actually know what the energy source is that's driving that, mm. but uh, it seems that it's a pretty dynamic place. So interesting one to study in more detail. John, what have you got for us? Well, we talk about Bitcoin every week, uh, mm. even if it's just to cover the price. So mm. I've uh, had... Gloat. Yeah, gloat, yes. I've uh, had a few friends now who uh, historically have had no interest in Bitcoin now asking, how do I set up a wallet and how do I buy Bitcoin? We've known for years that some governments have sort of been keeping an, an eye on what's happening and it now appears that the G20 may consider discussing it at the upcoming meeting. You know, so the G20 group of will discuss major economies and they're looking at maybe trying you know what what they can do to potentially regulate bitcoin the virtual currency which will be a, a, a big boost for it you'd reckon if, if the g20 sort of takes it on board and, and starts regulating it to, I, I imagine with a view to trying to stabilize it rather than having this massive volatility because there have been a few little corrections and things haven't there yeah, in the recent look, times look i don't it, it's a decentralized network so trying to regulate it is you know trying to hurt cats in a way like it's right. it's going to be difficult if not impossible to do now there's certainly regulations that each country could do maybe some certain taxes um, you know we have gst here and uh, income taxes things like that which you know this would uh, potentially affect mm. but maybe there's a global approach well look we'll wait and see what happens but it, like it, it, bitcoin is becoming more and more part of the global economy mm. it's it's a small part at this stage but it's certainly uh, growing so we'll wait to see what um, what happens if it is actually discussed at the g20 and uh, what outcomes that we expect from there mm. now there's been a study recently in the US that has suggested that Uber has grown, you know, obviously we're aware of more and more Uber rides, but at the expense of ambulance rides. So ambulance usage has declined slightly and uh, Uber, there's a percentage, a small percentage of Uber riders that are choosing Uber service versus uh, an ambulance. Mm. And that might be because they don't want to wait for a long time if there's delays on an ambulance. That could be because they don't want to have the expense of an ambulance which can, can be, be quite, can quite be massively costly. expensive. Yeah. Or they might consider them their injuries or illness not that life-threatening uh, not that uh, serious uh, but are unable to drive and therefore don't want to necessarily burden the ambulance system and therefore are choosing uber so hmm. on the one hand it is applauded by some doctors and saying well this is good it's freeing up the ambulances for you know real emergencies hmm. but on the other hand there's some doctors coming out and suggesting that we don't really want patients to self-diagnose when something that seems benign is actually very very and serious require attention in the ambulance on the way to hospital exactly hmm. yeah so look i we don't know. We haven't got any case studies here in Australia. We'll wait and see. Um, anecdotally, I think there might be some suggestion that Uber rides are, are up versus ambulance down. I would definitely recommend here in Australia calling triple zero and go through the, the normal sure channels. Ambulance insurance, it's not that yeah. expensive. Just, just interesting that Uber is sort of on the increase there. Yep. And uh, just finally from me, there was a not a breach of data, but there was data released uh, in 2016. and Medicare data. Medicare data. Mm. And, and it was the idea was to provide anonymous data with certain information on that to the public so that there could be research into that you know, information. It was about 10% of the population's medical data. Now, it was supposed to be de-anonymized. Now, we did report, it was late last year, that some doctors had been identified. So, uh, based on that data dump that, that came out, some researchers were able to get that information and then what they were actually able 
able to identify some of the doctors that were associated with the, that patient data. Yep. At that time, the data was then removed from the data systems, but the information was already out there. And since then, there's been further studies by the University of Melbourne to, to look at it. And basically, they're able to take that data and look at certain indicators and be able to then match that with other public records and then narrow that down and and re-identify who that data is. So even though it was supposedly anonymised by the government when it was released... It's it looking like there are ways to actually you know, attach it to individuals, which it, is a big breach of privacy. It, exactly. So it's, it basically says that um, a couple of uh, notes from the, the University of Melbourne study that they've got here, a few mundane facts have taken together often suffice to isolate an individual. Uh, some patients can be identified by name from publicly available information. Decreasing the precision of the data or to perturbating it statistically makes re-identifying gradually harder at a sub- substantial cost to utility. Basically, they, they were sort of able to say, well, what, what was your birth date? They might not have a name on there, but what was the birth date? Okay, you were female, you've had a, a child. Then been able to match those records with some other records, other public information, and are able to re-identify. So it's, this is pretty at, scary, isn't it? it 17,000 women in the data set matched her year of birth, but when the years of birth of two of her children were added, only 59 possible matches remained and only 23 in, in the home state of Victoria. So they're able to narrow things down very quickly once they added a little bit of basic data like the number of children. Yeah, so it just goes to say, look, we need to be really security conscious and cautious about what information is put out there. Mm. And if it is going to be anonymized, it has to be done in a, in a way that um, even security experts can say, okay, that is clearly anonymous. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestions for future shows.